We're going to pray before we start, but we're going to go quiet before. Um, And the reason is I just got convicted about, I don't know, four months ago or so. Um, How often I go, let's pray, and then I just go. And I don't stop to think who I'm talking to. And then when I don't pause before I pray, it's like I'm dictating to God what he should do. It's like I'm just saying, here's my list, and then get through it. And I just got convicted, so now I just pause for however long and because I just symbolically want to say to God, God, I don't want to tell you what to do. I just want to be open to what you're going to do. Like I submit myself to you. And we just kind of flippantly throw in, dear God, dear Father, and we just go. So this is out of a heart of conviction. This isn't like you all need to change. It's me. I got hit because I just feel like I just kind of treated God like the little lucky rabbit's foot you used to carry around when you were young if you did that kind of stuff like I did. Uh, it's like, this is like my good luck charm. I'm going to tell God what to do rather than pausing and going, who am I talking to? And so let's just pray. Let's pray. Um, let's go quiet before the Lord just for a little bit. God, we pause because we want your will, we want your word, your truth. God, I don't want to tell you what to do, and I don't want to imply anything that you should do. I just, I just want to submit. I just want to be sensitive to you and your leading, and, and I pray that that would be our heart's cry for everyone in the room, that we're sensitive to you. That we're not trying to dictate to you, but we're just submissive. God, as we receive our offering, we thank you for what you've provided. And we give back now as an act of worship, being thankful and desiring to see you take it and multiply it to increase your kingdom, that people who don't know you would come to surrender their lives to you. For those who have never heard of you, God, that the gospel would be shared that those who are hungry would be fed, those who are naked would be clothed, those in prison would be visited, communities would be changed, needs would be met, hope would be instilled once again. So God, take it and use it, and then as we open your word, God, may we approach it with respect and honor and awe that for 1,500 years you would have it penned for us that we would know who you are, not everything about you, but what you've desired to reveal to us. That we would know what you think, what you think about us, what you call us to do. And so I pray you would teach us, not my opinion or agenda, just only your truth, anything that I say that's not of you. Father, I ask for your forgiveness in advance and pray you'd give us spiritual amnesia before we get to the car. So God, teach us as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. 
If you have your Bibles, or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we are in the book of James, uh, being that we just started it. Uh, we're going to keep going. James chapter 1. Uh, we're starting just in verse 19. No fancy start. We're just going to go with the word. It says this, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Man, what if we just did that? What if just for one week we all did that? Facebook would become boring. It's like we'd find that blog post and go, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What if we just did that one thing? Now, here's the thing. I think we can apply it in two ways, and I think we just did it. I think we need to start with our approaching God. Like, we need to be with God. We need to be slow to speak. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's like, oh, I'd never be angry with God. Seriously? Aren't there things in this Bible that just frustrate you? And if you say no, then yeah, there is. It's called lying. And that frustrates you when you read about it. Because God is convicting. He's confronting us with things that we're, we're doing or how we're living that's not pleasing to him. So conviction's a good thing. So if, if when you're spending time in his word, you get a little frustrated or kind of convicted by it instead of kind of giving an excuse or kind of getting angry, he's like, just wait, 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 be quick to listen. Slow to speak. That's that part. We just did that. Let's just go before God slowly, or maybe not even say anything. And this is where some of you are like, yeah, apply that right now, Brian, because we can get out of here quicker. No, 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 no. I get paid by the word, so we're going to keep going. So, like, what if we did that? Like, is there this awe of, of his word that when we look at it and go, wait, 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 so God, you, you saw fit to make sure to reveal to us who you are, at least the parts of you that, we, that you want us to know, you made sure that it was written down so that we wouldn't have to be guessing about who you are. And we wouldn't have to be guessing about what you call us to do. And the thoughts that go through my mind aren't automatically you, but the thoughts that go through my mind, I actually have something to gauge it against. That every time I open this book, even Leviticus, you're like, not possible. Seriously? I used to make fun of Leviticus all the time, and I still will because people won't read it. But it's like when you read Leviticus, just in this context, when you read in the context of God is holy, oh, it changes everything. I'm serious because I just did it. I remember hearing somebody say, if you were to summarize Leviticus in one phrase, it's God is holy. And I went, oh, okay. So then I opened up this Bible. I have a Bible for Tyler and a Bible for Dylan, and I'm reading through both of them to try to give them notes of how to live their lives and and I get, to, I get to Tyler's and I open and I went, Leviticus? Seriously? It's like, I should get Kelly to read this. So, so I'm like, oh no, I'm going to, okay, so God is holy. It changed everything as I read it. That this sacrifice, or you offer this animal for this sacrifice, or there's this sin, and so you have to offer these things. That's like I said, and I went, wow. And you sit there going, well, it's kind of a waste of time or it's a waste of effort or a waste of resources. And God's sitting there going, don't call what I, what, don't call what I implement as a waste. And I was so blown away by that. But when we approach the word, do we look at it and go, wow, God, you gave me this. Do you realize that Old Testament scribes, they would be, they would be penning this. And they would have the original, and then they'd have their sheet, and they would go word, well, pretty much letter by letter, then word by word. But every time they got to the name of God, like the official name of God, they would actually change the pen. They would wash their hands. They would go kind of like through this ceremonial washing because they're getting ready to write the name of God. That was it. 
I mean, have you ever, have you ever just typed out a verse or something? You get to God, you're like, duh, 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 man, I'm super quick when I get to God. But they stop. It's like they have a quiet time. I'm getting ready. Okay, I'm getting ready to write his name. And he used to be, and Eric Waggy brought this up because he'd heard this. And it's like, it used to be where those who would read it, they would get to the part where you see a capital L and then lower capital O-R-D. As they're getting ready to say that, they would actually stop. And they would prepare themselves to just say the name of God. And I know that for some that we hear that go, Brian, that is so extreme. Really? Because haven't we gone the other direction? It's so flippant. It's like, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to talk to God. And I understand he's our friend and he's our father, but he's holy. I mean, angelic beings that have been looking at him since, they, since he created them have just constantly be screaming out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So one shouts it, then one over here shouts it back. It's like they're having this competition. Who can be louder? That's all they've been doing. But we just flippantly go. I feel like with God, I'll just speak for myself. I'm so quick to what? I'm quick to speak. I'm slow to listen. The writer of Ecclesiastes said this in chapter five. He says, guard your, st- guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Now watch it. Therefore, let your words be few. Doesn't that just sound like, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. I think we have to apply it first to how we approach God. And then how we approach each other. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to single you out, but married people, where are you at? What if we did this? Like, what if we just did this? You're like, no, because I'm winning. Like, if you look at who has more wins in the argument section, I'm up by three. My goal is when I stand before Jesus to hear Jesus go, Victor, you won by three. That's right. As if we've accomplished something. How would things look in your home if if as a couple you were Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That means there'd probably be a lot less interruptions. Because you know how it is, and I know, I'm with you. Like, they'll be saying something, Kelly be saying something, and one word pops out, and I took it completely out of context. Because now I'm ready to go. It's like, bam, and then jump on that one. And go, when you said, and I just unload. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What if you're not married? We all have friendships. We have relationships. What if you did with them? What if you did with coworkers? What if you did with your boss? What if we did it here at the church? Instead of every opinion having to come out, it's like, well, we have freedom of speech. It's part of our rights as Americans. It's true, but I don't know that God sits there and agrees with everything should be stated. And here's how I know. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I love that verse because there's hope. Like I walk into a room with a bunch of smart people. I just keep my mouth shut. I'm like, wow, he is brilliant. Yes, I am. I've made it. 
Okay, so you have Proverbs 17, 28. You have Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So I know that we have it in our minds, like, I just got to get it out. And God's sitting there going, you just got to be quiet. Like, if you need to get it out, tell him. Because usually what happens, we're going to tell somebody else who gets on our side. If they're not on our side, we'll dump them for a second. We'll find the next person who's on our side. And then we can kind of create our own little revolt. And we can get divisive on whatever we want to get divisive about because it's got my peeps. And God's sitting there going, you need to be quiet until it's necessary. For those who have an opinion about everything, and I can be guilty of this, it doesn't mean because I have an opinion that it actually should be shared. And God's not really wanting my opinion. He's expecting my obedience. He's not asking, how do I be better at God? I don't think God has ever asked me, Brian, can you give me some pointers on how to be God? Oh, let me tell you, I think what you should do is you should give me the lottery. That would be the first thing, and then more of it the rest of my life. That would be great. It's not how it works. He doesn't need my opinion. He doesn't need your opinion. All he says is, hey, listen to me first. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But if we did that in our relationships, what would it look like? We might, we might actually hear each other out. It might, we might jump into relationship rather than just finding the people that we agree with constantly. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Then he says, verse 20, here's the reason. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now isn't that a little bit offensive? I mean, look at the way he just described us. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You're like, I'm not a bad person. And here comes God's, going, God's word going, I disagree. Put away all filthiness. Guys, that word filthiness in the original language, not because I can read it, but because I can read the, the people that can read it. So I read their stuff. And you get the root word of filthiness. The root word is this idea of built up earwax. I know. Now, how many of you have ever done the earwax removal kit? Come on, where you at? Okay, the rest you can't hear this, so you should try this when you get home. <laughs> okay, the first, okay, the first, has anyone just, I love this thing. Okay, and it's, it's I don't know why, I, I do. It's, it's like, I feel like I've accomplished something. The first time I ever did it, it's like when I can't hear them, I'm like, why can't I hear that well? Instead of going to the doctor, I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'm a pastor. Because <laughs> we, talk, we talk to God, so we can do it. So I, I'm like, oh, so maybe, someone told me about it, and I was like, I'll try it. And so you put this, fluid stuff and you and then you clog it up you just kind of wait it's all bubbling in your ear it's kind of weird it's like you feel like it's just sucking into your brain it's kind of fun and then and then you pull <laughs> then you pull it out and you're supposed to take this syringe kind of thing and just push warm water up into your head while it's draining this way and so i thought oh, okay i don't know if it's gonna work i'm not, okay if i'm lying i'm dying the first time i ever did this okay the end of an erase you know the pencil on the end of a or the, the erase on the end of a pencil it was that big like it popped out and I went, that's amazing. And then I, I, did, I, I don't know why I picked it up, but okay, I, I, I don't know why in that moment I thought, this is what I should do. And so, but I thought, this is, and serious, I could hear, like I could hear the water. I could hear, it's like, I felt like one of the people that Jesus healed in that moment, I went, that's it. Like I just experienced the miraculous. And for some of you, this is what you need to do. In your life, not in your, I'm not saying, okay, we got to get back to the part where it talks about, 
You need to hear the word of God again, but before you can hear the word of God again, you actually have to read the word of God again. And we need to stop getting our fix on a four and a half second verse of the day thinking that we actually know what we believe. Welcome back, Brian. I'm serious. Like, we got to become, because here's one of the most terrifying verses that I've ever read, and I just preached it on Thursday of flood. It's one of the most terrifying things I've ever read, and I've read it before. But imagine Moses and all the stuff that Moses went through and all the stuff that Joshua went through after him and all the things that the people saw, all the ways that God delivered, all the battles they went through, but it kept being pushed back. We don't forget about what God did. Don't forget about what God did. Don't forget about when God delivered us out of the hands of the, the Egyptians when we were slaves and freed us from Pharaoh and walked across the Red Sea. Don't forget that. But you get to Judges chapter two. This is after Joshua has passed away. It says that all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation, generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This generation dies and the younger one has no clue. They hadn't heard anything about God or what God had done and you watch that generation. And they continue to walk further and further and further away from God. When you get to 1 Samuel, you have a high priest and his two sons are priests of his. These two priests, these two sons of his who are priests, Hophni and Phinehas, I think is his name. God called these two priests of his worthless men. They would take the best portion of God's sacrifice that the people would give as a sacrifice to God. They would take the best portions for themselves. They would eat it. Eli would eat of it. These two, they would go and have sex in front of the tent of meeting where God would meet with Moses face to face as though friends. It's like they totally forgotten anything about God. Just do the ritual, just do the thing, just have the four and a half second Bible verse of the day. And you see the people drifting away and drifting away. Why? Because at one point, one generation stopped passing on the faith to the next. Older generation, that's your job. That's my job. Not to entertain our young people, but to pass on the faith to our young people so that our young people know. And not just, hey, here's the verses and here, memorize the whole Bible by tomorrow. It's not that. It's like, here's what God has done in my life. And then take the scriptures and point them to what it is that God is like and what he's taught us to do and how he's taught us to live. Guys, there's no way we would understand that God is sovereign or holy or just if it wasn't for him writing the word. We wouldn't understand that he loves us, that he likes us, that he enjoys us, that he sings happy songs over us. Zephaniah 3.17, I'm not making it up, that he sings happy songs over us. We wouldn't know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We wouldn't know that wherever we go, he is with us. We wouldn't know all these things. We wouldn't know sin. We wouldn't, need to know, our, we wouldn't know our need for, to confess and to repent. We wouldn't know any of this if he didn't give it to us, and yet we're trying to make excuses of why we don't spend time in it. Rather than making time, not finding time, but making time to be in the word. It has to happen. Brian, you're a pastor. That's your job. I know. How cool is that? But do you really think my love for Jesus is based on if I'm a pastor? That my quiet time is... It's usually 6.15 in the morning and I'm not prepping a sermon. And I have to make myself, don't think about this as a message. This is you and me, God. Like, I want to know what you have to say. And so just so you know, this morning before I even came in here, I got here, did my sound check, went to my office, and I read out of Psalm 25. 
verses four and five hit me like nothing before. And I know I've read it before, but it says this. Make, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day long. And I sat and I went, I will wait all the day long. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God, I don't do that. I don't wait all the day long. I got things to do. Like, you got to step it up. It's amazing that the thing, now watch what he says about the word. It says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Whether it's implanted by God, it's like our conscience, or it's implanted because of your spending time or you're hearing it preached, which is able, here it is, which is able to save your souls. This, this. He's like, God's like, spend time with me in this. Not just spend time reading this. Spend time with God reading this. But as long as some of you keep making excuses, you won't experience the blessings that come with intimacy with God. And then when you don't experience those blessings that come with intimacy with God and get frustrated with God and blame him for the blessings that you're not receiving that only come for those who are actually seeking after him. Do you see how the frustration doesn't make sense? But how quick we are to make the excuses. We have time. We do. We have time to scroll on our phones. You ever started to scroll? It's like, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go like three inches down on the phone. And by the time you're done, it's turned into 33 hours worth of stuff. You're like, oh, I don't know where the time went. I don't know why I'm so busy. But I know, I know what you had for lunch. Double like, double like. You know why? Because we're distracted. We're distracted by things that really mean nothing. So then he jumps into this. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Pretty much says this. Just do what you see. Like what you hear God saying, what you see in his word, do it. The person who doesn't do it is like a person, okay, I'm guessing that all of us looked in the mirror today. I'm guessing at some point you looked at it because that's why you look good. That's why. And for those that didn't, that's why you don't. <laughs> so you're, usually, you're usually at least one look, okay? There's one look. You make sure everything's kind of in place and the zipper's up. Like that's what you're doing, right? Here, here James is going, gosh, what's it like for a person to hear what God says but not put it into practice? It's like... Picture you go, you look intently. The word's intently. You're gazing, you're staring, you're looking for every little part. You're gazing intently into the mirror, and then right when you turn, you forget what you look like. It'd be like me going, there he is. Wow, gorgeous. Don't laugh, that hurts. Okay, so there he is. And then it's like, okay, so I looked intently, and then when I turn to go, do I have hair? And not know. That's what he's saying. So for you to hear what God says and then not do it, what he's saying is you're kind of stupid. 
It just doesn't make sense why you would actually do that. Here you have God saying, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. You're like, wow, that's deep. That's really good. That was very impactful. I even journaled about it. But then you don't put any of it into practice. He's like, you're kind of an idiot. I mean, I don't know how else to read that. So we look at God's word, but then what do we do with it? And I know that for some of you that you love reading the Bible and you're sitting there going, yeah, but Paul, he's all about grace. If you read the Paul's epistles, he's all about grace, no works. I don't know what epistles you're reading. Because here's the one of the big ones we like. This isn't a wanna verse. That's when you know you've made it in the, ver- in the world of verses. When you make it to an Awana memory verse, you're at the cream of the crop. So here it is. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. That's like, yeah, not by works. So that no one can boast and we stop. And yet Paul's thought continues. You know it continues because he keeps writing. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So when you have people going, ah, oh, James and Paul, they're not agreeing. I'm like, they're on exactly the same page. That we're saved by grace. It is God's gift. Even the faith necessary for me to receive Jesus is a gift from God. That's what he says. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So I receive salvation. And then I work because I'm saved, not so I can be saved. I work because I love Jesus, not so that I can be loved by Jesus. That's all that he's saying here. He's like, guys, we can't keep living this life where we want to hear the word and just keep taking it in, but not do it, not practice it. So when we get to passages where it talks about, hey, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting the Lord. Hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, realizing that our marriages are supposed to be this perfect portrayal of what our relationship between the church, Christ's bride, and Jesus looks like. That my marriage to Kelly is not just for me and Kelly, but my, our marriage is to bring glory to God and what my relationship, your relationship, the relationship that he offers to all of us is supposed to be like this. Children are bare, parents in the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. You start looking at all these practical things and God's like, I'm telling you what you should do. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Forgive one another. But Brian, if if you knew what they did, I'm sure we could sit down and, and see who has the worst life. And we could keep doing that the rest of us. And I'm not downplaying what some of you have gone through. I'm just saying, how is it helping? I mean, is it real? Are you experiencing the life that God wants you to experience? Because all I've noticed, when I don't forgive, you know what builds up in my life? Not freedom, not victory, not love, not concern, not grace, not mercy. You know what builds up? Bitterness. It's like, and it's just, because I haven't dealt with the forgiveness part, any bad thing just layers on bitterness. And all of a sudden, I don't want to become the 95-year-old who's bitter at the world because I never forgave something over here. Forgive one another, love one another, care for one another. Be generous with our lives. Be generous with our finances. Like I look and go, okay, so what if we just did those things? 
But then all of a sudden, James gets, he gets a little bit more particular. So we jump into verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, catch it, this person's religion is worthless. Bet you're glad you came today. Like you sit there going, gosh, this is just kind of a heavy morning and I know. And I'm like, I get this passage. And it's hard, I get that. This is why I think I love James so much because he's not gonna beat around the bush. He's just gonna be straight in our face and say, I need you to understand this. Let me give you an example. For those that say, I get to say whatever I want and you never bridle your tongue. He says, your religion's worthless. What you proclaim to me, oh, I'm just following Jesus. And I, there's, this, there's, this, <laughs> there's this thing that hit me last night and I wrote it down in my notes. If your living for Christ causes you to look nothing like Christ, it's not Christ you're living for. If your living for Christ causes you to not look like Jesus in any way, then it's not Jesus you're living for. Guys, I can tell when I'm not following Jesus that well because I definitely look more like me and less like him. I can tell when I'm not feeling, quote unquote, in love with my wife, not because of anything that she's done, but because when I expect to be served rather than to serve, it's weird. You would think that if I'm served, I was like, oh, the feelings get bigger and bigger. No, no. When I expect from her, they go away every single time, 100% of the time. Then I go back to what does scripture say? Hey, love her as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, serve her, serve her, serve her. And every time I put that into practice, I look at this and go, man, if I can't bridle my tongue, if I can't keep myself from saying the things that would be offensive to someone else, all in the name of whatever we want to call it, then my religion is worthless. So just put in, just put that, just apply that for just a second. What did your speech look like this week? Well, I I just have to get things off my chest. I don't know, find a pillow, talk to a dog. I don't care. Like do something that's actually productive and obedient. But I'm not making this up. This is what the scriptures say. And then he goes on and says this, religion that is pure and undefiled. That's what we went. Compare it to worthless. It says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And you sit there and go, that's it? Two things? I can do that. Or is God saying this? I think in this time, James is going, hey, here's the problem of our day. The widows and the orphans are being ignored. It's kind of like if you're, if you're a widow, you're pretty much on your own and no one's gonna go out to reach out to you. And so I wanna make sure that you take care of those who are oppressed, those who are on the, the fringe of society, the neglected, the forgotten. I want you to care for them. What I don't want you to do is go, man, I have a heart for them. And so therefore, I think that every other organization and every other, whether whether private or government organization, I think that they all should take care of it while I sit back and have a great heart about it. No, followers of Jesus, he says, we're going to do that. We will be the ones to visit. We will be the ones to care for, to provide for, to do whatever we can to care for those who have been forgotten. You said, they go, oh, you sound like one of those young ones. It's like to care for people. And I say thank God for the young ones who are reminding us to care for people. But it's not like it's a young person idea. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, 
He actually, this talking about God, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68, five, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Isaiah chapter one, verse 16 and 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You have James, what's he doing? He's just quoting old stuff. He says, you wanna be found, okay, you wanna be found a person who's standing before God with a religion that God says, he goes, man, this is pure and faultless. Then care for those on the outside. Love those that no one else is loving. Visit those that no one else is visiting. Give time to those that people think are a waste of time and space. He's like, we do that. And then on top of that, keep yourself from being stained by the world. It's both. And it's weird how like one, whether they live in one or the other, right? Like I'm gonna focus so much on my personal purity that we forget there's actually people that are broken who need Jesus. And then there's the other side. It's like, well, we need to be with the broken. We forget that we're supposed to make sure that we're not doing the things that Jesus, that Jesus actually died for. I can't tell you how often I'll be sitting there either watching something or reading something or whatever. And my mind will go to, okay, if Jesus was sitting right here next to me, would I be laughing at this? Like, would I be enjoying this? Would I be justifying why I'm doing this? Would he be sitting there going, this is a great use of your time? Or is this the thing that I'm watching, putting into my mind? Is that thing, what, was he bruised, battered, and beaten, and broken for that thing that now entertains me? Am I keeping myself from being stained by the world? Or am I using the excuse, well, I'm freeing Christ. And that's not at all what he meant. He goes, you want a religion that is pure and faultless before God? Care for those who nobody else cares for and live a holy life, period. You can kind of picture James doing it like this. As he gets to this point in his letter, maybe that part where he's like, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Maybe he'd be sitting there going, oh, it reminds me of him. I remember, I remember my brother was preaching, my brother Jesus. I remember my brother was preaching and I heard him say it more than once. He's like, oh, those who hear the word and do it, they're like the person who, gosh, how did he say it? He said it, uh, Okay, they build their house on this foundation, like on the rock. And then when the storms hit, it doesn't go. It doesn't move because it's got a solid foundation. But those who hear it but don't put it into practice, they're like the ones who build their house on the sand. And then when the storms hit, it just topples over. So he just took Jesus' message and just summarized and said, be doers of the word, not just hearers, period. See, I'm, this is not one of those messages where it's like, everyone pay attention and feel like trash when you go home. This is if the shoe fits, wear it kind of thing. And I used to, like, you get to a passage like this, and it is, it's pretty straightforward, and I don't want to get around it. And it's during a passage like this, I used to treat God like, like that weird family member that you have. You know, that everyone has a weird family member, right? And you, and you prepare everyone who's about ready to meet them. 
So if they're gonna say, hey, I need, to tell, I need to tell you about my, whoever that person, I'm not gonna say who ours is because they might be watching. Okay, but whoever that person is, and you're like, well, we don't have one. We're all great. Well, it's probably you. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, but you know what I'm talking about? It's like you, you have to apologize because you're not quite sure what they're gonna say. And if they say it, then you're all embarrassed. And I used to treat God like that. And I remember years and years ago, I was going through the book of Jude with high schoolers and I was studying it. And it just, this thought came to my mind, I believe it was God. He's like, hey, stop treating me like your weird family member. Stop apologizing for me. You say what I tell you to say and let me worry about the outcome. I look at this and I go, I don't know how much more straightforward it can be. Followers of Jesus, we need to read this thing. Followers of Jesus, we need to live out this thing in such a way that a hopeless world actually looks to the church for hope once again. Something's changed. It's not the world. It might be us. I want my religion, quote unquote, I want my religion to be acceptable to God. And if while you're praying, this last thing, if while you're praying, you sit there and go, I was praying about something and it goes completely against God's word. Think about it. He's revealed this and yet you pray through something and you're like, well, I prayed about it, but I felt like God said, I can get away with it. I don't have to do what he said. I wrote this down. If the answer that you hear while you're praying goes completely against the word of God, it's not God that you're listening to. If what you come away with after you pray does not coincide with what he's written down in scripture, it is not God that you're listening to. Well, how do I know what he's gonna say? How do I know what he says? Get in the book. Get in the book. Put the phone down. Turn the computer off. Get in the book. Spend time with God in his word. Why? Because it's the thing that saves souls.